I don't want this service to end. So I'm going to preach for the next three hours. <laughs> oh, Lord. I think we'd be having some long, long talks with Jesus afterwards. <laughs> Let's bow our heads and talk to him now. Living Lord Jesus, we can talk to you heart to heart our voice to your ear thank you for the miracle of your presence with us Lord as you the resurrected living Savior walk amongst us meet us now one by one and on this occasion speak to us as if one by one as if all we have said and sung and prayed might lead us to you and to hear what you have to say to us so toward that end Lord take my lips and speak through them take our minds and think through them take our wills and bend them to your own and take our hearts Lord Jesus and set them on fire with love for yourself we pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we are be, uh, beginning uh, this day, this very day, to look at a future before us. But what God has given us as human beings is a kind of self-consciousness so that our memories as we've reflected, even some more while I'm speaking, reflected on what he has done, what the Lord has done. It gives us a context. Do you realize that without memory and without reflecting on those memories, if we were to live each moment as if that's all we had, we would be in a very desperate shape because nothing would add up to anything. It would be a series of disjointed experiences and with more to come and no place to reflect and know how it all fits together. So memory is part of our personality and God constantly throughout the scriptures call for memorials to be made. Even our Lord's Supper is a memorial banquet. Do this in remembrance of me and in anticipation of my coming back. So all that God gives to us by way of the lives that we live and those who've gone before and the memories and the histories that have been created become part of a worldview that help us take steps of faith and be bold for the Lord as we move out into the future. We are going to be looking at that passage that was read for us, 1 Corinthians and chapter 4. You'll find it on page 6 in your service sheet or in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
and concentrating on the first two verses which speak about something entrusted to us. So then, it says, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So when the Apostle Paul writing this, for us now as God intended it, it has become holy writ, holy scripture. For God then to again in our day, in our circumstance, speak to us. So then, men ought to be regarded as servants, ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Interestingly, the word servant there is not the typical word that many of you know. You've heard enough Greek over the years, diakonos, from which we get deacon or diaconate. It's not that word. It's another word which actually has its roots in the under-rower. If you saw the movie Ben-Hur, and the man who'd been taken slave rowing below decks, the root of this word servant is somebody just slugging it out below decks, pulling with all his or her might to make things happen. And as an under-rower for Christ, it is Christ who is the focus of it all. As we give all that we have to this under-rowing class, to serve him. Do what he wants. Go where he wants us to go. As he would take us. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. May that be true for all of us. That Christ is the one who sets the pace. That we take his word and take it seriously. And then apply it and put it to work. A man by the name of A.W. Tozer, a great teacher and preacher from the 1950s, did much of his work in Detroit City. He said this, if you take a room full of pianos and tune them with a single tuning fork, they will all play in absolute unity of key and uniformity of sound. Jesus strikes that tuning fork for us. He is the one that if our hearts are in tune with him, If our minds vibrate, move to his direction, we produce a symphony of praise, not just in song as we've been enjoying today, but on our lives together. We are servants, under rowers, to the leadership of Jesus. And oh, that we might see ourselves as such, And in that role, it goes on to say, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. The word, if you had the King James Version in your hand that's used there, 
Rather than the secret things of God, it's the mystery of God. And when the New Testament speaks about a mystery, it's not speaking about mystical experience and individualism, but God's truth made available and known and revealed. And that's the secret that we have and need to make known to others. Make note of this or turn to it if you have your own Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, which I will read, speaks to this same issue. Listen to these words. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace has been given to me to preach to the, un- to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this, do you see that word there? Mystery, which for ages has been kept hidden in God, who created all things. But now, his intent was that now, through the church, that's the body of believers, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And according to this eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And verse 12, listen to these words, so rich and powerful to us. In him, Jesus, and through faith in him, Jesus, we approach God with freedom and confidence. All this part of the mysterious, amazing way in which God in Christ has revealed himself to the world, but in particular to us who believe. And now through the church, the body of believers, not an institution, not a building, but us, the body of believers, that's the church, the gathered people of God, through us to make known these unsearchable riches of Christ, and even in some amazing way, reveal the truth of what Christ has accomplished to even the angelic host in heaven who watch with awe and wonder to see the unfolding of God's purposes and his power and dynamism in our lives. So God has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, described here as something entrusted to us as this mystery now revealed, entrusted to us. We are trustees of this message. And that is not trustees in the sense that we are guarding antiquities. We are not a museum with a compendium of statements made by our Lord. It's not that kind of guarding trust. It's not that we've got a document somewhere that we just guard and keep for posterity. 
but that in our lives, so that it goes on to say, now it is required that those who have been given a trust prove faithful. Faithful to that trust. True fidelity. A high fidelity. That we would be trusted by God with this message and in our lives, by our witness, this, this very body of believers and the believers worldwide entrusted with this body of truth communicate it in such a way that more and more people are gathered. So we've been given a trust. We are all trustees if we know and love Jesus. And God is looking for us to be trustworthy, to prove ourselves worthy of the trust so that with a sense of high fidelity... Our lives are managed by, directed by, empowered by what God has entrusted to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Now that's the heart and soul of that verse. And we are the recipients, you and me. We are recipients of an entrusted property in the first place. This land, the previous owner, Helen Grove, with her husband, he died years before. Helen Grove lived to be 90-some. And the week we dedicated Wilson Hall as our sanctuary then, we had sent an invitation to Mrs. Grove inviting her to come and be a part of that celebration. She didn't belong to Christ Church at Grove Farm. She actually worked, she worshipped at the little Presbyterian church on Mount Nebo. That was where she worshipped. But she wanted and prayed over this land to be used by the Lord. Years before it became Christ Church at Grove Farm, she gave us, the us, we were on the radio in Pittsburgh. Some of you remember us going back years and years and years on the radio. Gave us a part of the barn. Now the barn that's way behind us here. Part of that barn, sitting here on this farm, as a sound room to produce our shows in. And there are people around and about who used to work in the barn putting together those radio broadcasts. And my wife, when I would be here working in the barn, doing radio broadcasts, would be with Mrs. Grove. Our daughter, Sarah, was just a little girl. And they would have tea together. And Mrs. Grove would explain to my wife how it's her heart's prayer that all this land be used for the Lord. So the Verlin Foundation, which is a remarkable institution, whole series of homes adjoining our property, was the first to be taken and turned into homes to care for profoundly 
ill-equipped young people and adults profoundly sick in mind or body to be cared for and as of today that is the case in the name of Jesus Christ caring for those who are deeply disordered physically mentally need complete and total care very special people adjoining our property as well is family guidance a mentoring ministry to young people all over Pittsburgh as well as a development of marriage and families as we have given ourselves to as a congregation, especially now heading into the future with Jamie Kendrew. Again, used for the Lord. Brian Johansson has come in from New York now to lead that ministry. Powerful ministry to the larger community of Pittsburgh. And last of all, the piece that we have, 46 acres of it, came under the care of the leadership of Christ Church at Grove Farm for us to take and use. This land is a sacred trust bathed in prayer, dedicated by Helen Grove so that we, in turn, might worship here and experience what's going on here in this sanctuary. But I hear from people who drive onto this property that they immediately sense the presence of the Lord. This is promised holy ground to us. Holy ground. Secondly, part of our trust is this. The dedication and commitment of those who founded Christ Church. Just like the early founders of our nation, they pledged themselves their sacred honor, their wealth, and their giftedness to what became Christ Church at Grove Farm. In many respects, they were ris- risking becoming social outcasts, risking the economics of their careers the long-term relationships that they had with many people, both in the greater Pittsburgh area, even nationally, as well as locally. And they took that risk. And one of them, Tom Allen, his daughter reminded me, Susan, reminded me yesterday morning as something like 50 or 60 of our founders met for lunch and praised the Lord for what he's done here. She reminded me that as we dedicated this property on which the church stands, her father loved the phrase from a hymn, may those who come behind us find us faithful. It was their faithfulness to the Lord himself, to a vision that they had, that gave birth to 
out of prayer again, bathed in prayer, the prayer meetings that you've heard and seen actually on the screen, borne witness to, out of prayer, the sense that we should become a worshipping community that has become now Christ Church at Grove Farm. That gift of their commitment is a sacred trust. We have become trustees of that commitment, just as we have become trustees of what Christ himself has done in dying on the cross for us. Because at the heart and soul of their surrender, of their sacred honor, their wealth, their dignity, and their giftedness, was the message of the gospel which drove them and which inspired them to see what we now have by faith down the road. So that third piece of entrustedness, which is exactly what this scripture speaks to, is the gospel, the revelation of God's love to us in Christ Jesus. It's a sacred trust. Yes, it's rescued us from the sin of our past, Christ having died for all our sins on the cross. Yes, it's transformed our lives here and now so that we've been made new creations, given a new beginning, joined to Christ, being made new in Him. And we enjoy that, and we praise God for it, and that hell is not our destination. Christ has paid for that, gone to hell on the cross, that we might be forgiven filled with his spirit, renewed and made his. But with that, Christ has given himself to us so that the scriptures describe our bodies of the temp- as the temple of his Holy Spirit, that we have been bought with a price, the blood of Christ, and indwelt by God himself. He's taken possession of us So that again, the scripture speaks of worship being our only reasonable response. Worship that's our offering ourselves back to him as a living sacrifice. So as we revel in that good news that has transformed us and our destiny, it is also described here as a sacred trust And we've been entrusted with that message, not just for ourselves to keep it safe, but to share the good news of that gospel. That is a sacred trust. And with that message came the mission. That you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. A sacred mission. It's not our mission. We didn't take a vote on it and said, that's our mission. That's our mission statement. We didn't take a vote on that. Christ has ordained that and entrusted to us not just the message which has transformed us, but the mission by which the world will be transformed around us. It's part of a sacred trust. We are trustees of both the message and the mission. And our great desire heading into the future 
is that we will be found faithful. And that those who come behind us will find us in looking back over what they rehearse and see that we have been found faithful. So we've got the sacred trust of this land, the sacred trust of the commitment of those who've gone before and the price they've paid, the sacred trust of Jesus Christ and the gospel in our own hearts, and the sacred trust of the message to take hither and yon, wherever we go. As we give ourselves back to the Lord this morning, one by one, Will you commit yourself to that sacred trust? Will you? So that all who come behind us find us faithful. This property was developed not for the ones who were the founders, but for all who would come behind us. For people as of yet many of them unborn, many as of then, not aware that we even existed. But the price that was paid by both them and the Lord Jesus himself has become to us an endowment that's sacred and held by us with open hands, not to clasp to ourselves, but to give away to others. Bow your heads with me, and let's pray together concerning this. Thank you for each one present here, Lord, who discovered you right here at Christ Church, gave their lives to you, Thank you for all the children that were brought here and given over to you in holy baptism and dedication. Thank you for couples that discovered their love for each other here and became husband and wife and their children now who follow them. Thank you, Lord, for the missions, whether in Uganda or here in Pittsburgh and other parts of the world. Thank you for the impact of one solitary life, yours, Lord Jesus, but now our lives, one by one, to be a blessing to other people, one by one. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give ourselves to you, afresh and anew, this very day. I'm going to pray out loud a prayer for us, Christ Church family, that we would take this promised endowment and be honorable, faithful trustees of the same. I'm going to ask you to say out loud, if that's your heart set and mindset, to say out loud with me a prayer of surrender. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I receive this sacred trust. 
Thank you for dwelling in me. Thank you for transforming my life and destiny. Thank you for the good news of your gospel. I take it as a sacred trust. Wherever I am and wherever I go, whoever I meet and to whomever I speak, whomever I meet and to whomever I speak, Lord Jesus, I will honor this trust. I will live for you. I will speak of you. I will pray that others be drawn to you. And that you would use me in that mission. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I love you. I honor you. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.